You know, as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, uh, this church, one of the few churches in the first century, uh, early Christianity, one of the, the few that's thriving at the time, he is walking through just kind of the importance of then standing firm and bold and unashamed in the midst of this persecution. And as he is penning this letter to the church um, and then sends it to, with Phoebe to then go and read this letter to the Roman Romans and the church in Rome, he gets to chapter 8 and he starts walking through this concept of suffering, a, a concept that the church would have really understood deeply. And he starts talking about the Holy Spirit and the different roles of the Holy Spirit. And one of my favorite roles that Paul talks about comes in chapter 8, verse 26. And Paul says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And if you've ever ugly cried before, then you know what that feels like. Where Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit being the person of God and God himself here on earth, to intercede with us with groans too deep for words. To ugly cry for us. Just as Christ himself wept when his friend Lazarus had died. It's a powerful, powerful experience where Jesus himself feels deeply in our weaknesses and our struggles, carrying the cross with us and for us in our suffering. And so, hey, I am so grateful that you are here. Grateful that you have come to worship with us, either in person or online. My name is Jordan. I am our online pastor and then one of our teaching pastors here at C3. And there has been a lot and a lot and a lot going on the last couple of months with a lot of you who have struggled with mental health, with depression, with suicide ideation, struggling with home life and with family life and the exhaustion that comes with either being a parent or someone who has struggled with infertility. There has been a lot of financial insecurities as inflation continues to go up and gas prices continues to go up and struggling with paying the bills and then money management. There's been a lot of exhaustion with finishing school or starting school or now the kids are out of school and the routine has shifted as the summer has started. And it's been exhausting. And the church has felt it as well. Pastors on staff, we have felt the burden as well. And it's been hard to lead during the season of life. There's so much hope and there's so much goodness and there's so much that we have to be grateful for. And so regardless of what from 11 a.m. today moving forward looks like for you, I just want to invite you into the space to just experience community. That's what the church is for. The church isn't for coming to then be filled and then leave. It's for us to come together as one unified body to take part in worship, praise, service, generosity, and to refocus our attention back on God. So I'm glad you're here, whether it's your first time visiting or this is the place you call home. This is week number two of our series called Summer Essentials, 
where we're walking through uh, just four different weeks, four different topics of things that we know as you head into summer that might be important for us to, again, refocus our attention because the routine of life completely shifts for a lot of us. For those of us who have uh, children and school is now out and now your routine completely is shattered and normality is completely different and you're trying to adjust to life, can be exhausting. Or for those of you who might be done with school or have just stepped away from school life and now you're adjusting back to home life if you've come from college and you've got just three months of trying to adjust to normality and then you leave again to start over again. It's exhausting. For those of you in the business world, as you're trying to figure out the different hours and the different popularity and the different things and communications and all of that fun stuff, it can also be exhausting. And then every vacation, as you step away from life for a second, then it kind of creates this grieving aspect because then you go back to the regular world and you're trying to figure out, okay, again, how do I adjust back to normality? And so for this series, Summer Essentials, we've been just trying to give some simple yet um, and intense concepts for us to kind of recenter our focus back to Jesus, just say, hey, during this summer and season of life, what if we just took a breath? What if we just took a breath, but also tackled some difficult topics? And so last week, Brad walked us through kicking off the season through uh, Philippians chapter four, walking through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi and talking about this concept of being gentle with one another. And he discussed kind of just how disappointed and disgusted uh, we've been after the overturning of Roe versus Wade and how Christians are treating one another, whether it's online or in person. And Crossbridge is no, no stranger in those treatments. And so challenging us then with Philippians chapter four, saying, hey, let's be gentle. Let's shift our focus back to the cross because the world is watching right now how the church is responding. And so respond with love, respond with gentleness, respond with grace, respond with compassion. Today is going to be a part one of a two-part series that's going to be split in half with Brad's teaching next week. And so uh, if you don't like Brad, but you want the two-parter, just come back in two weeks, that's okay, okay? Um, but I highly suggest you come back for Brad or else he'll feel bad, okay? He, he started to, if you were here last week, you've learned Brad has started to get into his fields lately. And he started to dissect that he does have a heart. I know, it's crazy. He's even accepting hugs now, okay? And so it's so insane to watch this, this man who I had no idea could feel things deeply is now feeling things deeply. And so next week, you're not going to want to miss it because he's got an incredible message. But kind of split between the two is part one of a two-part series where we're going to be walking through suffering. And today what we're going to be looking at is sudden moments or life's disruptions. And we're going to be looking at it from the minor parts of suffering. And then in two weeks, we're going to be asking the tough questions. If God is good, why does evil exist? If God is just, why does suffering roam rampant? Loss, grief, mental health, addiction. We're going to be looking at that all in two weeks. Today we're going to be looking at kind of the minor disruptions in life. The everyday disruptions that are still exhausting, still frustrating, and have the power to shift our mood and our focus from Jesus to what's happening in our world. They can be as simple as a 
social media post that just stirs you the wrong way, or a little bit more traumatic is somebody cutting you off in the roundabout and the F-bomb is necessary, okay? <laughs> Different disruptions in life that are both exhausting and exhilarating and have the power to completely shift our emotions. Sudden moments, disruptions. Because here's the truth. Sudden moments and disruptions have the potential and the power to shake us and shape us. And when we allow ourselves to respond in an unhealthy way, then they shake us and shape us in an unhealthy way. And a hundred different slivers, a hundred different disruptions and sudden moments and struggles and sufferings and our responses towards those moments build up after time and start to pile on burden after burden after burden after burden. But what does it look like for us as Christ followers to now recenter our focus and our attention back to the cross when we're experiencing a disruption in life? And for those of you who have known me and my journey, I have had a lot of growth in disruption moments. A couple of years ago, uh, actually, I'd like to say it's a couple years ago, a year and a half, two years ago, but, but way back then, 10 years ago even, whenever, when Marissa and I first started dating and we get in an argument, sometimes it would take me four to five to six days to come back down to earth, Okay. And so that was something I continued to have to regulate my emotions, how to, in a healthy way, to process the disruptions of life in a healthy, necessary way. Because some of our reactions, whenever we are disrupted by life, is to just bury them deep and not approach them. And we think that might be tough or courageous, but it's actually extremely unhealthy and starts to seep out in different cracks throughout our lives. Some of us wear our emotions on our sleeves. That was me. And so every outfit came with depression and anger and frustration and roundabout madness and all of these different things. It's like the entire world needed to feel as deeply as I felt about different things. Let me try to fix this mic. All right. This happens every time. Can I just get the handheld? <laughs> See, when I get up here and Bruce adjusts the mic for me and it's so good and then I get up to preach and it's like Jordan starts moving more aggressively. Everyone give Is this going to be the start of Jordan having to preach with a handheld every week? Because <laughs> that would not be the fun, fun part of my life. So anyway, okay, so different disruptions and some people wear their emotions on their sleeves and the frustrations of life that that comes with and it's exhausting. And sometimes you're in the middle of a message and your intro has gone great and then the microphone starts bothering you and you've got that simple disruption. But that's what I'm talking about today, is that sometimes it might appear to be small slivers of distraction, disruptions. Yesterday, uh, we had Uriah's, uh, uh, just a, a small family birthday party, and he decided to wake up at 4 a.m. yesterday and be up, okay? And so we were up with him from 4 a.m. until, you know, whenever he decided to nap, which yesterday was like a crazy busy day. And so again, one of those just small disruptions that just set the day up for exhaustion and emotional turmoil, and it doesn't feel like a big deal to everyone else, but to you, it's a terrifying deal. And the weight of it is exhausting. I want to just share an example. Uh, three years ago, Marissa and I, we had just graduated school from college at AU. We were moving back to Fort Wayne. And we had just, um, we, we had no debt uh, besides our, our, our college education, but no car debt, no home debt. So we were moving back. 
Um, and we had started to build a little bit of a savings, and we're on our way to Minnesota to celebrate with um, my best friend and his wife's wedding. And as we're on our way in our car that we just purchased, the transmission goes out. We're on our way traveling, and then you hear this loud grinding sound and whistling sound, and it just... It just dies on us. And so we take it to the shop. They say, hey, you're actually covered um, under the warranty. We're, we're like, okay, that's, that's all right. That's great. So they got us a rental car. We get back on the trip. And then two hours later, hey, by the way, you're actually not covered after all. Here's what the cost is going to be. Okay? I just lost it. But I had to readjust and recover my mindset because we were on our way to celebrate my best friend's big day. Well, fast forward then a year later. We had a much older car, 2004 Saturn Ion, okay? And I'm driving. I go get the oil changed, gas filled up, and then go buy $100 worth of groceries. And as I'm pulling out of Walmart, I hear an all-too-familiar sound. A and a whistle that's super loud. And then the Saturn Ion transmission just dies on me. And I pull back into the shop. I gave the manager some choice words because, of course, it was the person who changed my oil's fault that my transmission decided to die 10 minutes after I got the oil changed. And I just lost it in the parking lot. I remember calling Bruce, my father-in-law. Um, <laughs> I'm calling him, and I'm just, I'm bawling. You know, our savings had just been depleted a year later from having to get the first transmission fixed. And now, you know, we're slowly building it back up. And now we got the second car issue, same transmission type of issue. And I'm just losing. I'm like, why does God hate me so much? You know, and I'm just crying and I'm bawling and I'm grieving. And then six hours later, I came back down to earth and I called Bruce. And he said, wow, this might be a record for how fast you've come back down to earth after a disruption in life. Now I'm at about an hour, and so I'm slowly but surely making some progress. But I think so many of us can relate to that in different ways, whether we try to bury down our emotions or we're someone like myself who wears them on our sleeves. We have to constantly be checking yourself because neither is bearing it down and avoiding healthy, nor is wearing it on your sleeves healthy. It's about, like we've always talked about, finding that middle ground, being validated in your emotions, but not forcing your emotions on other people is important. And scholars, uh, you know, walk through four different types of emotional responses. James, if you want to put this photo on uh, the screen, you might have heard about these before. There's, you got the fight or flight response, which for a long time, that's all that different scholars had talked about, fight or flight. But then there's two other ones that are fawn or freeze. And so for the fight response to an emotional disruption. You've got irritability, anger, depression, or aggression moving toward the situation. And so when you're disrupted in life, you get into fight mode, attack mode. It comes across very passionate, very aggressive, and you usually stomp over those around you. Then you've got the flight mode, which is anxiety, or fear, or panic, or avoidance, or uh, chronic worry, or perfectionism, trying to fix everything, yet still stepping away. And flight mode is just as damaging, if not done, in a healthy response. Because when people might need you to respond, you kind of just step away. Then you've got two responses that are lesser known responses to our emotional trauma or our minor disruptions, and that's the freeze response, okay? The freeze response is when you're literally in the situation, and shocker, you freeze. And your response is one of, like, 
what do I do? And it does create some sense of panic, but it's more stuckness and collapse and spacing out and depression and then shame for not being good enough in your experience. Then you've got this fourth emotional response called fawn. And this is probably the lesser known um, from what I have studied. And that is where you're people pleasing. So you're in conflict. And so you're just like, hey, I'm just going to please the crowd. Please the situation. Whatever they say, yes, I do. Whatever is needed, yes, I do. With no regard to how you are currently feeling or experiencing. Difficulty, see, difficulty saying no. And then this is the biggest one, I think not establishing healthy boundaries. And so once again, if all of, the, all of these are responses are inevitable for us, okay? It's about managing it and trying to figure out the healthy version of our response, right? By the end of this message, I'm going to drop a fifth response, courtesy of Chidian theology, okay? And it's also another F word. That sounds weird. Um, it will be appropriate though. So just hang with me for the message today. But the title of the message today is Don't Forget the Fish. And we're going to be walking through different um, sudden moments and disruptions in life. But Mark chapter 6 in the gospel. And so if you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 6, um, and I'm going to be walking through two stories that go side by side and have an immediate impact on our life today and how we can respond to different sudden moments. But as you're turning to Mark chapter 6, I want to share kind of just some context of what's going on in this story beforehand. Because Mark 6 is filled with, I believe, four different stories that go back to back to back to back. And it's, it, it packs a punch. A lot is happening at the very beginning of Mark 6. Early on in the gospel, Jesus has called his, his disciples to follow him. And then Mark chapter 6, he empowers them and sends them out to the communities to start healing and performing miracles and being compassionate and feeding people and serving people and being generous to different individuals. And so he takes his disciples and he pairs them up and he sends them out. And he says, go and do ministry. Go and be the hands and feet of the kingdom of God. And so they then go out. As Jesus has sent out his disciples, right after that, Jesus' cousin, who baptized Jesus, John the Baptist, was beheaded, was killed. Okay, and so you've got that story that happens in between. Then the disciples end up coming back to Jesus, having stories of some, some incredible times, some incredible miracles that they had taken part in. And so let's turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. This is always the test of my inner strength. Holding the microphone in one hand. Thank you, Ashton. Chapter 6, verse 30. This is where we pick up our story. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to the disciples, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside 
and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I want to stop there. Um, Mark gives us kind of an answer to a question a lot of us ask. It's, hey, when I'm feeling weary or exhausted, what do I do? There is one cure for weariness. Weariness is this interesting word that literally means emotionally depleted and physically depleted. And Jesus shows us time after time again that if you are feeling weary and exhausted and depleted, the anecdote to that is solitude. It's to take some time to recover your battery, to recharge your battery. Some of us hate being alone. Some of us hate rest, okay? Some of us love being alone and love rest and actually rest way too often, Some of us are addicted to production and to work and idolize that and never rest at all. Both of those are way too unhealthy. Jesus says, though, when your soul is depleted and you're feeling exhausted, he encourages the disciples who have just come back from a missionary experience, says, hey, now we need to go to a solitary place to recover. And so they do. And as they're getting in the boat, the different... People around the community are so excited that they saw Jesus because they had just witnessed their disciples doing miracles and healing and feeding the crowd that they start running to the other side of the lake where Jesus is going to be and ambush him. And Jesus has compassion on them. And so he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, before we go, how about we feed them? How about we feed them? See, a lot of us want to share the truth of the gospel without building the relationship and providing for their needs first. Okay, but Jesus understood that if people are going to listen to me, I need to give them a Big Mac, okay? It works every time, especially with Brad. Actually, Brad, we learned, is a quarter pounder with cheese kind of guy, okay? No ketchup, no vegetables, just burger and cheese. And if there's not a little bit of pink, which you're not going to find at McDonald's because they have theirs burned to a crisp. But if you don't have a little bit of pink, he won't complain about it. He'll tell Barb, and then Barb will go complain about it, okay? (laughs) James, can we go back to that fight or flight picture? We're going to show you which one Brad is. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, okay? (laughs) I love you so much, Brad. Uh, That was not a planned joke. It was the Holy Spirit. And so so then what, what Jesus says, he tells his disciples, he's like, hey, Even sometimes when we're exhausted, and this is something I have had to learn and learn a healthy way of, is even sometimes when I feel depleted, sometimes Jesus and God still require something of me. And there still needs to be some compassion. And so the disciples are like, hey, we found this place. Let's step away. And Jesus is like, hold on. Let's feed these people. And the disciples say, hey, but that's going to take 200 days work of salary to feed these people. So Jesus says, hey, what do you got? He's like, five loaves of bread and two small fish. Jesus said, I have done more with less. Hand me the whole grain and let's have a buffet. And so he multiplies the food and he feeds 5,000 men and probably what scholars say is 13 to 17,000 total people with children and women and singles and widows who he had fed. And then verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And I want to point that out for a second. Jesus said, hey, we don't, we don't have like, we don't waste any scraps. Because Jesus, the disciples being teenagers and young adults, he knows he's got to feed these young boys. 
okay? And if you have teenagers or young adults, you understand there's no room to throw away food. We have leftovers after leftovers. So he says, hey, hey, Peter, yes, sir, go grab the baskets, okay? Go grab the broken pieces of fish of the 17,000-person crowd, pick up the baskets, 12 of them, and carry them with you. And that's so important for the rest of our story. And so verse 43, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Moving on to verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. So they got their 12 baskets. They immediately go into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray. Verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land, Jesus was. He saw the disciples straining at the, at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, which I think is just hilarious. He's like, I'm just gonna walk on the lake because I can't. I'm not even gonna say anything to them because it wasn't about Jesus. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. I want to stop there for a second. Can you imagine this? You got me, Brad, and Bruce in a boat, all right? All of a sudden, Trevor, our youth pastor, starts walking on water. You best believe we are picking up the oars and we are going to war against Trevor if he's walking on water. I imagine that's like, like Peter's like, John, grab the oars and save the fish and the bread because we're hungry. But it's, you know, the, the Greek of, the, of this passage says it's between three and six in the morning. So it's, it's early in the morning and they're oaring, they're, they're rowing, and then all of a sudden they're straining because there's this wind and this storm against them. And then Jesus just comes straddling along. He just starts walking walking by, and they're terrified of what's happening because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them. I love this passage. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And wouldn't it have just been hilarious if Jesus said, I, bye, and they just start walking back. No, but instead, Jesus met us where he was. Gets into the boat, and they were completely amazed when the wind died down. And then verse 52, this is a verse you need to highlight and the theme for our message right here. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And so Jesus has this experience where he just feeds 15,000 people. Tells the disciples, go gather the remains, pick up the baskets, take the baskets with you onto the boat, set them down and begin your journey. Jesus goes off to pray. He realizes his disciples are physically struggling, straining against the water. And so he walks on out as if that's not going to freak them out. Then he hops in the boat, possibly stumbling over the fish and the bread that the disciples had so easily forgotten about the miracle that Jesus had just performed. Because that's what happens so often for so many of us, is we've experienced Jesus and some goodness and some joy and some happiness and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and some gentleness and goodness. And then as soon as life gets hard, we forget that which Jesus has done. 
So Jesus gets in the boat and he says, hey, your hearts were hardened for the miracle I experienced. Moving forward, I don't want you to forget about the fish. Don't forget the fish. When you're experiencing minor disruptions in life, when you're exhausted, feeling weary and emotionally depleted, Jesus says, don't forget the fish. When you're battling life's depression, anxiety, suicide ideation, loneliness, insomnia, addiction, Jesus says, don't get so caught up that you forget the fish. When you're struggling with singleness or your marriage is falling apart or you're discouraged as a widow, Jesus says, hey, don't forget the fish. When work is exhausting or you're feeling like there's zero purpose in what you're doing or you're retired and you're feeling discouraged about what's next in life, what's my purpose now, Jesus says, don't forget the fish. When suffering hits and completely shakes you and rattles you and you're in the boat rowing against the wind and you have every reason to be afraid, don't forget the fish. It's four words that regardless of what type of disruption you're experiencing, whether it's minor or major, Jesus says, there's good around. And I have done what I have done in the past. And I'm not going to let you lose heart in the future. Don't forget the fish. Here's how I want to close today. Because these are four words that I hope, I hope stick with you as you read. And I hope you never read this story the same way again. Or you would recognize how wrong the disciples had gotten it so many times. And Jesus had to re remind them and encourage them. And, and they're struggling. Is what does it look like? I want to ask this question as we close today. What does it look like for us to trust Jesus in every circumstance? Whether it's a sudden moment, a minor disruption, our emotional response is often going to take over. But what then does it look like for us to quickly snap out of that which we are struggling and refocus our attention back on the fish, back on Jesus, back on the Savior of the world? To step back and breathe and say, you know what? Yeah, life really stinks right now. There's no reason I should be filled with hope, and yet I am. So what does it look like for us to fully trust in Jesus? This last week, I was talking to a Crossbridger who, when the storms hit, they were in their basement, and water was just flooding in through the window, and they're just getting soaked. And I was talking to this Crossbridger and uh, asked if I could share their story. And he said, my initial response was to get into fight mode. And for the first hour of that experience where life is just literally hitting me in the face and there's tadpoles and fish just smacking me in the face, okay? And I'm trying to get the water out of my basement, okay? He said, it took me an hour before I invited Jesus into that experience. I'm like, hey, an hour's pretty good. It usually takes me six. And so, like, that's actually a pretty good response. But he said, then what was so cool is what I did is I stepped back from the window as water's pouring in, and I prayed, I invited Jesus into my situation. And here's what I want to say. I saw... Um, 
uh, someone tweet this last week. It's like so many of us want to like carve out specific time with God, which is so cool and so powerful. But I think what God wants us to do is invite him into our entire day. And so yes, carve out some time and prioritize time alone with God. But then when the fish come through the window, invite God into that. And that's, this is not what I mean. I don't mean like as water's pouring through your window, you're like, hold on, everybody. Everyone get on your knees and just let it, like, if this is you, that's great. That's incredible, okay? That's not me because I don't like germs and water. And so if, like, I'm getting hit in the face, it's going to be with, like, chocolate or something, okay? And so you've got the water coming. What I'm saying is rather than starting your work without God, just say, all right, God, this really stinks. Let's go after it. Okay, because you've invited God into the presence of your entire day. And that's what I want your next step to be for minor disruptions. Okay, they're inevitable. They're going to happen and they really stink. And they're going to disrupt your day. They're going to be exhausting. You're going to log on to social media. You're going to see a post that frustrates the fish out of you. But what I want to encourage you with is this fifth emotional response. Hope you get it by now. It's this four letter word. F-I-S-H, fish. <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, count before I said that. I just kind of full set. But what would it look like for you to have the fish response? To say, you know what, God? This suffering stinks. But I'm going to invite Jesus into this moment. I'm going to fish it up. And that's going to be my emotional response. To remember the miracles of past. To count on the Jesus of the present. Understanding that our future is in his hands. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for fish. Thank you so much for bread and how you took the five loaves and the two fish and you showed the disciples a servant's heart, a compassionate heart, challenging them to serve one another even when we're exhausted, but then also highlighting the importance of solitude and rest to replenish our souls. And then using that experience to help encourage them that when life throws the waves and the wind, and the storms at us, and the sudden moments that shake us and shape us for us to not forget about the fish, for us to trust that you have eternity in your hands, and so that this present moment doesn't wreck you. In your name I pray. Amen.